Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with my very good friend Dave Anderson and he wears many hats and we're going to talk about ethics today and I think for most of us the concept of ethics just comes automatic I know for me I was raised in a church I was raised with a military family so ethics weren't so much a discussion but a way of life and I think with the melting pot that has become the United States the discussion of ethics is really varied by culture, by race, by education level, by uh, family philosophy, let's say, because I married into a family that had a very different ethical philosophy than my family. And I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other, but the discussion of what is ethics is on the table today. And Dave, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because you wear many hats and I want to make sure that we display you with the right hat. Well, hopefully I won't talk so much that my hat get my hat size gets <laughs> bigger. Um, well, thanks, Sandra. I appreciate being here. It's uh, my background is I'm the son of an Army general. Uh, my father went to West Point. I went to West Point. Uh, I served in the first Gulf War and got out of the military after that and then spent 20 years in corporate America. Uh, started out as a salesperson and then spent 15 years leading sales teams all over the place. Uh, and then for the last almost eight years now, I've been running my own company, uh, focused on becoming a leader of character. And uh my father and I wrote a book back in 2016 called that Becoming a Leader of Character, which I've always joked. I said, you know, if my mom was the only one who bought a copy, I, I, you know, I was, it was a great thing to get to with my dad. But uh, fortunately, we've, uh, the book's done a little bit better than that and gotten a lot of attention and things. And uh, that has morphed into uh, the Becoming a Leader of Character curriculum that now we roll out with organizations all over the country and uh and now in the last two to three years it's been a lot of work with law enforcement uh which has been a great blessing to me and uh really inspiring and difficult and uh i just love the work i get to do with that with that group of people as well so um i this is a subject i'm passionate about as you know uh during our previous conversations and things so i'm looking forward to today I am too, because, you know, Dave, many years ago, I taught ethical communication and business communications and ethics at USC, University mm -hmm. of Southern California, in their master's program. And we had a very varied um, class. And, you know, they were from all over the world. They represented, I think at the time, 18 or 19 different countries in that classroom. Mm -hmm. So the discussion of ethics, at first I thought, how silly. Why would you have to teach ethics? You know, why would you, you know, and then I realized when I look at my education versus my kids' education and the removal of God in the schools, the removal of um, a lot of people no longer have a spiritual practice. This isn't a show about religion. This is just a show about culture and ethics. But those things do come into play because I learned a lot of my ethical behavior, not only from my family, but from my church, and there was a certain set of rules, if you will, that we abided by. And it was very easy because the little farming community I was from was homogenous. <laughs> we all went to the same three churches. We all went to the same three schools. And most everybody was from German descent. So there was a work ethic there that came from Germany. Many first-generation children from Polish and uh, German descent, there wasn't that much variety. But now when I look around my town, even out here in Los Angeles, there is so much variety in language and culture and religion and belief and uh, family dynamics. How do you define ethics anymore? Hmm. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that the topic of ethics, I mean, my experience, obviously, from the military corporate world uh, and now working a lot with law enforcement, uh, what I see ethics has turned into 
more about what don't you do as opposed to who you are. And um, our ethics training is so focused on don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And I always tell people, I'm like, look, nobody's ever inspired by being told what not to do. Right. You know, when we keep telling people what not to do, you know, it, that ethics uh, training that people go through, lots of times it's on the computer and they're just waiting for that time block and they click the, the multiple choice question to prove that they did it. And, um, you know, when you bring up a great point about people from different cultures and the way we were raised and everything. And I, I, that's what I tell people in Oregon. It's so important as an organization, as a, even define what we stand for, right? Everybody has the same definition and we need to define what we stand I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I think um, I had an unstable connection. I just switched to a different, uh, different, a different Wi-Fi network. Hopefully, it'll. Okay. If not, we'll just you know rock and roll. So I'm going to just lead you back into that, um, and we'll edit it together. Okay. Great. And it'll be shorter this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fine. So, Dave, one of the things that is interesting to me is when I was raised, I was raised in a very homogenous culture. Most people were Polish, German descent. They were immigrants. They were farm people. We all went to the same three schools. We had maybe three churches, but they were very, very similar. You could pretty much interchange them. So it was pretty easy to understand the ethical framework that was being taught or shared in the community. And now living in Los Angeles, this huge melting pot, I don't even know where to begin with ethical training. And I want to talk about what is, what is ethics? What does that mean? Is that a set of rules that we agree upon and who makes the rules and how do we agree? You know, it's great that you, you bring up the word rules because that's what ethics training has turned into. Uh, ethics training is, seems to always be focused on what not to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you do this, you'll get in trouble. If you do this, you'll get the organization in trouble. You'll get sued, whatever. And, you know, I say all the time, nobody is ever inspired by being told what not to do. Right. People want to understand who they're supposed to be and what are they supposed to do. And I think that's a huge thing, especially in this, this great, like you said, this great melting pot that we live in, in America. And uh, to understand that, you know what, people might not always approach the term integrity the same way or the term courage the same way. But so we as leaders, whether it be leaders at work or leaders at home, we need to spend time saying, what do we stand for? What do we stand for as a team, as an organization, as a family, so that there's some discussions that can be had about, okay, if that's what we stand for, that therefore this is what we will do when we're faced with certain situations. And lots of times those conversations don't happen because there's that assumption. We all grew up the same way right. and we didn't. And it's more important now than ever in today's society with so many differing views that when you're working with somebody, when you're living with somebody, that these conversations are happening, uh, so that, you know, a good friend of mine, a guy named Ross Strader, who's actually my senior pastor at my church, he said, the time to figure out what you stand for is not in the midst of a crisis. Right. And I think so many people get themselves in trouble because when the crisis comes, they've never stopped and thought, what do I stand for? Right. And I think, you know, that was something, you know, in my household, my dad was a big one that our name is Beck. And if you're a Beck, this is what it stands mm -hmm. for. This is what it mm -hmm. represents. And my mom would be like, well, I'm not a Beck, you know, and, <laughs> you know, she married a Beck, but she's like, you know, and she, my mom yeah. had like five names. She was born with a Ukrainian name that it, you know, changed when she came here. Then her mother got remarried, you know, so she's like, mm -hmm. what's the name? But, you know, the whole concept of your identity, um, 
has so many implications and what might be an appropriate, and I found this working with Middle Eastern clients, and this is no disrespect to the Middle Eastern clients, but when I worked with Middle Eastern clients, very much common was the practice of once we agree, then the negotiations begin again. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't prepared for that. So I thought, you know, contract signed, we're done. Why are you trying to renegotiate the contract? And, you know, when we all had a big discussion about it and I said, okay, I was their first U.S. contractor. So they didn't know U.S. business practices. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Middle Eastern practices. No judgment, no right or wrong. It was just done differently. And mm-hmm. I think that has to do with the definition Could we say they had no integrity? Of course we could judge them like that. Or we could look and go, wow, this is a different business practice. We all need to get on the same page. But that's really hard, Dave, when you have, like, let's say a police force or a school district that has 15 different cultural Mm -hmm. ideas of what integrity is and what winning is. Like, that's my big one is what does it mean to win? Mm. Yeah, you know, and, and again, that, that goes back to the leadership, defining those things and not just defining them once, but over and over and over again. I mean, uh, I always joke that, you know, lead, you know to, I think we're being naive as leaders to think that because we say something once, people are going to remember it. I mean, you know, the, you're a marketing person, you know, the old marketing maxim that you got to say something seven times before somebody's going to remember it. And I mean, 15, 15 minutes can save you 15% on car insurance. Right. Why do we remember that? Because we hear it over and over and over. We know exactly what company that is. And as leaders, if something's important, it's worth repeating. So just by having values up on our wall or on, you know, on a crest or something like that, that doesn't mean that's actually the values that the organization has. The values that we talk about values, we talk about our organization's character because we, we focus on character. So you can talk culture, we call, talk about organizational character and it's the demonstrated values, not the values that claim an organization claims to have, but the, uh, the values that people demonstrate within that organization. And again, when I say organization, I want to be clear. I'm not just talking about at work. I'm talking about at home as well. We can say a lot of things, but if we don't, nobody behaves that way. We can claim we believe something, but you know what we claim to believe and what we do, if they aren't aligned, well, that to me, that's, a, that's, an, that's where integrity uh, is falling down there. Um, and we, you know, when we talk about it, becoming a leader of character, we talk about six habits of character. And I always encourage people, if you're not sure what you stand for, consider these six habits, because I think they would work as organizational values or family values, which are courage, humility, integrity, selflessness, duty, and positivity, your attitudes, and that they're all habits. And they're all things that we can choose to exercise in any situation. And if you filter your decisions through those six habits, you're pretty going to, you're going to turn out to have some pretty good decisions in life. Absolutely. You know, and I think this is really integral. You know, I'm raising teenagers. I have a 13 year old and a six. God bless. (laughs) (laughs) I'm past that now. Yeah. You're lucky. You're, you're over that hurdle, but you know, if anybody doesn't recognize that a positive attitude can be adopted, can be cultured, can be manifested, but also that it can be a huge solution to many of the family problems. (laughs) Go to a house with a teenager, you know, Mm -hmm. watch what happens when that teen comes home full of angst and brings that into the family environment. Not that much different than a parent who's gone to work and brings that back into the environment. I think it goes down to the the concept of do we get to choose our thoughts, Dave? I'm a big one that says I get to choose my thoughts. I get to control my thoughts. I get to choose my feelings and control my feelings. Not all the time, not every minute of the day, but these things are choices. And I don't think many families recognize, you know, when you look at positivity, you look at values, you get to choose these. This is your choice. And I think that's the foundation of everything we're talking about today. Just because your parent or your sibling or your best friend does something doesn't mean it's okay. And doesn't mean it's okay for you. You know, 
it's great that you use the word choices because uh, I'll share with you a story. I mentioned my father was, uh, f- he was 41 years active duty military. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a child of the eighties. Uh, you know, I, I would go to school some days in an ACDC t-shirt and the next, and the next day I'd be, I might be wearing parachute pants and a skinny leather tie. It's, it's kind of a, uh, an admission of guilt. Right, my eyes, my eyes. I, I know, right? Yeah. Don't, 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 <laughs> try to clear that from your mind now. Uh, But I also had one of those 80s haircuts where, you know, uh, we called them bi-levels back then. Uh, Today, they just call them mullets. Yeah, a mullet. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, business in the front, party in the back. And I was coming home from work. I worked at a restaurant after a 10-hour shift. And I came walking in the house. And my father turned and looked at me and he made a crack about the length of my hair. And I'm 17 years old at the time. And so, uh, I always joke, there's no stories in the Bible about wise young men. Uh, so this is a, what I'm about to tell you is an example of an unwise young man. I turned and looked at my father, who was honor graduate from the Army Ranger School, counterinsurgency expert, two tours in Vietnam, Silver Star, Purple Heart, all the above. And I looked at him and I said, whatever. <laughs> Talk right. to the hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And boy, he turned and looked at me and put one of those, you know, one of those uh, combat looks on his eyes. And he looked at me and he said, Hey, bud, your attitude's a choice. Make a different choice. And that's what you just said. You, right. Our attitudes are a choice. I mean, there are examples in, over and over again of people who are in terrible situations who who choose to have a great attitude. I, I always share this, you know, there's, there's women that we know who have breast cancer who make, who sure. spend their time making you feel better about their cancer. And there's, there's gold star moms out there who are sitting at the airports, welcoming other children's children home, other people's children home when they know theirs isn't never made it back. And how do they have such a great attitude? It's because they've chosen it. Right. Not just once. We form habits one choice at a time. Our good habits and our bad habits are, are fueled by our choices. And each time we make a choice, it makes it easier to make the same choice again. So when we have a good attitude, when we exercise positivity, that's because that's a result of multiple choices over and over and over again. And negativity, same way. It's the result of our choices. And um, now don't get me wrong. Some, there are personality styles. That it's, right. I'm, a, I'm a big believer in personality, uh, personality styles and things and looking at and certain personalities tend to lean towards the negative and certain personalities tend to lead towards positive. But the other thing my dad would say to me when I was in trouble was, hey, bud, if what you're about to say is your first instinct, go with your second. <laughs> so point being is I, I always think of personalities like an instinct. If my personality might instinctually, I might go to the negative. That's what separates us from the animals. We can make a choice not to go negative. We can make a choice and say, you know what? I need to look at the other side of this coin and say, and go with it as a positive. And, you know, all our habits, those habits I mentioned before, courage, humility, integrity, selflessness, duty, and positivity are all the result of our choices. And we are in a hundred percent control of our choices. Absolutely. And for those of you that are raising, you know, kids, uh, Sharon Silver, parenting expert, you guys can check her out as well. She has a great way, like your dad, the way your dad said it was cool. It works for him. You know, he's a big man Mm -hmm. used to being in command. I'm, (laughs) you know, two feet shorter than my son. So it's harder for me to take that command stance. But one of the things that she recommended I do, which has worked great for me, especially when you have teens figuring things out, wanting to know where the boundaries are, where the lines are is the simple phrase, try again. Mm -hmm. So when smart mouth one and two come home and they're going to tell me, (laughs) you know, what I need to know, because I'm mom. And if they say it disrespectfully, if it's something that I don't think reflects their beliefs, their characters, they're just being a teenager. I just stand there and I say, try again. You know, that's a great statement. I think about uh, a friend of mine, uh, I've heard him say this and I, and, and you know, what my father said to me wouldn't work in, in the corporate setting either, you know, just, sure. hey bud, your attitude's a choice, make a different choice. Uh, but the thing is, what, what he says all the time is, hey, we're better than that. We are better than that, or we are better than this. We are better than what, so we, we are not pointing the fingers. We as a group, as, as two individuals or as a team or whatever, we are better than that. And that's when, when we get back to this, 
idea ethics and what we're, what ethics is. Again, when people are continually told, don't do this or you're going to get fired, don't do this or you know, you sign, you sign this piece of paper at the bottom line. So now you have no excuse. Sorry, we can fire you now that unfortunately that's what ethics training has turned into is, well, now that you've signed the bottom line, we've proven that we've told you what not to do. And now you don't have a leg to stand on. And, and we wonder why people aren't inspired. And you spend the time to, and when you think about the habits of character, we focus on, you spend time on, no courage is who we are humility is who we are. Integrity is who we are. And this is how we exercise those things. And you focus in your organizations on how do we do this? Because, you know, uh, people don't follow us because of what we can do. They follow us because of who we are and who we are is our character. And so when you focus on character, now all of a sudden you see people rolling their shoulders back and they're like, oh, all right, this is how, how we should be. Not about how we shouldn't be, how we should be. And, and people, I, I see this, whether it's in law enforcement or in corporate world or working, you know, I work with nonprofits as well, uh, religious groups and everything. And it is every single person when they say, they go, yeah, this is who I want to be. And that inspires people. And that's where we need to, we need to be with ethics training as opposed to always focusing on what not to do. Let's talk about how we do behave. What are the things, what does good integrity look like in action as opposed to what don't you do to avoid trouble? Well, and let me just put human nature out to you because when I was a little girl, you know, the, the thing was the F word. Like, you do mm-hmm. not say the F word. You know, my mom's <laughs> like, ladies do not say the F word. We do not use the F word. And what is the first thing you want to do when you're told that rule and you, your willpower is gone, your frustrated is all get out. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Right. The F word, because you told me over and over and over not to do this. And I think when we do that, what I call negative training, if we do that negative Mm. training, when they say, okay, you know, do not take office supplies from from the office home. Mm. Do not take them home, you know, during, you know, to help your kids or whatever. Just don't take any office supplies. What's the first thing that happens when you don't get the raise you expected? You take Mm. office supplies. Like you're almost training people into what to do when either willpower or frustration or anger or fatigue, those emotions that come up, we're basically teaching people what to do when they lose emotional control. We don't want you to do this, so we're going to train you not to do this. And guess what's going to happen when your willpower, your emotion or whatever runs high? More often than not, you're going to do that because I just trained you to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, you know, values are going to kick rules butts every single time. I mean, and, you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Coach K, Coach Mike Krzyzewski over at Duke, mm-hmm. you know, and he says rules are no substitute for character. And, and another way of thinking about that is, is you can't write enough rules to keep people from doing stupid stuff. And that goes for our kids as well. We don't, somebody told me one time when I, when my kids were in high school, sophomore year about that time frame when they tend to drive you the craziest uh because they're exor- they're trying to become their own uh, own young man or own young woman sure. and they're driving you crazy and they're pushing boundaries somebody said to me dave are you trying to raise a perfect high school student or are you trying to raise a good in this case he said a godly young man and woman and and i thought about that and Am I trying to raise somebody? Did I care that I had a perfect child or did I care about what the end results were, the adult that they were going to become? And to approach them in a way that it's not just like, well, you broke this rule and, you know, and, and focus on rules, but focus on decision making. And that's where I think ethics training at work and at home needs to focus on is like, if we, if we give people parameters to filter decisions and choices through, as opposed to just telling them what not to do, you know, now they're prepared for what happens when there is no rule available. Well, and they have that skill set. You know, one of the biggest right. things my dad always instilled in us is he'd say, what do you think? Or if I did something particularly stupid, you know, mm-hmm. like, like one time I drove our family pickup truck with a busted tire, like five miles on the rim 
you know, and he, the first thing he's like, what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. And I said, I was thinking that I needed to get home safe because where I was, was not in a great area. And I figured a busted rim wasn't worth, you know, me getting mm -hmm. hurt or, and then my dad goes, huh? Okay. You know, cause that was an era of no cell phones. Right. You know, I couldn't call for help. I was in a bad area of Niagara Falls where I shouldn't have been arguably, but mm -hmm. I didn't know what else to do. So I drove it. And, you know, <laughs> but, well, I love that story because all my stories about how I made bad decisions. That was a good decision. My, I remember a story. I, I put a dent in the side of my dad's Pontiac Bonneville when I was in high school and I, I parked that Pontiac Bonneville against the side of a hedge, hoping he would never notice it. <laughs> you know? And so he came out and said, what were you thinking? And I said, well, and he, he looked at me and said, Hey bud, bad news doesn't get any better with age. You know, so, you know, and what his point to me was, you know, Hey, when you screw up, be the first one to come out with it, you know, and how often are we, you know, do we see people hoping the boss doesn't find out, you know, sure. and, you know, and it doesn't, it used to drive me crazy when the, I get a call from school and find out one of my kids got in trouble at school. And, and it's been, it was two days ago and they never, they never told me about it. They were, and I'm like, look, you do not want me to find out about this stuff from your teacher. Right. Well, no surprises. You, people out there listening right now, you do not want your boss to find out about, about your screw ups from somebody else. That's where the humility part, when we talk about humility is believing and acting like it's not about me, having the humility to walk in and say, boss, I, I need to let you know about something I screwed up today. Uh, and this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm working on in order to fix it. I love your input you know, get, get out in front of it. And that's integrity as well. Uh, you know, we, we call it, we define integrity as doing what is good and right and proper, even at personal cost. Um, and that's where integrity gets hard is when it costs you something. Well, but let's talk about the cost because I have my non-integrity story. When I was 16 or 17 years old, I ran over my neighbor's cat. And I didn't know what else to do. So I, and I smashed it flat. There was nothing left of this cat, you know, big old pickup truck, you know, big tires. And uh -huh. so I took the collar and I put it on their doorstep and I ran. Oh. Mm. Now they moved. I don't know what happened to them. They're probably dead because they were old, you know, but I mm. have carried that cat for 25, 30 years, the guilt of not having the integrity to ring the doorbell, tell them what happens. Because, mm. you know, can you imagine, like, she just, Mrs. Shields opens the door, looks down, there's the collar and the thing, and it's all bloody. You know, somebody ran over the cat. And, and they know where me. that cat came from. Yeah. Right. So, you know, but you look at the weight of that cat. If I had just said, you know, Mrs. Shields, I'm so sorry. I was backing out and your cat ran under my tire. I never saw her. You know, I wasn't speeding. I wasn't doing anything. Mm. Now as an adult, I look and go, that could have happened to anybody. Mm. Yeah. And if I had said something to her, Dave, I probably wouldn't remember this story to this day because it's very heavy. It's a, it's a, a story I've carried a weight to it because I did the wrong thing. I knowingly did the wrong thing. I dropped that collar and ran. Mm. Because I was afraid, and I don't even know what I was afraid of, but when you look at the weight of your decisions over time, yeah. that one, if I had 50 of those, I'd be in tough shape. I have one or two, you know, that I can't make right, I can't go back and correct, and I got to make peace with those things. But when you talk about the cost of doing the wrong thing or the cost of hiding something, mm -hmm. do you really ever get away with it? Yeah, no. And that's the thing. I mean, char for our character is, you know, it's always with us. And only we, only we truly know what our character is. Nobody else, except for God above, knows what our character is. And so we, only we truly know that. So you're right, you carry that around with you. And I, and I think about, um, I think about two things. I think about a quote by Winston That character may be manifested in the great moments, but it's made in the small ones. And so our small moments, our small tests of character that we face every day are preparing us for the big tests to come. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what's interesting is there's a story that it, it's not a recent story. It happened, it happened uh, earlier, earlier in the decade, uh, I think about 2013, actually, um, in 
Atlanta and it's, it's this law enforcement story where unfortunately a group of law enforcement officers went into a, to do a raid on a drug house or a suspected drug house. And the short, uh, to make uh, the short story is unfortunately a, uh, an innocent old woman gets shot and killed. And that's a tragedy in and of itself, but it gets worse because what happened was a group of officers there decided to quote unquote, align their stories to make sure their story was aligned. Um, and that's a nice way of putting it. Um, now, fast forward to months later, there's one of the officers sitting outside the courthouse after he was indicted and after there was a plea bargain. And uh, of course, he lost his career and everything. And he's sitting in front of, and of course, it made national news. And he's sitting in front of the uh, courthouse and somebody puts a microphone in his face. And he says, I used to think I was a good person. And I don't know that man. I don't know that officer. I don't know what got him to that point. But I know from my own personal experience that at one point in my life, I found myself down a path that I'm going, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. I grew up with a father like I did. I went to West Point that was focused so much on integrity and honor and, and, and duty, honor country. And I sat there and I'm down this path. I'm like, how did I get here? And the way I got there was through a bunch of small decisions, these small little choices that I made that all of a sudden I didn't recognize who I'd become. Mm-hmm. And, and why I was making those decisions. And I had to fight my way back to get on the other path where I should have been in the first place. And I, I'm saying that because, A, first of all, I want anybody listening to this. If you know you're on a path, right, that you've been on a path for a while, maybe that you, don't, that you never thought you'd be on, you know, we talked about habits being a choice. Mm-hmm. And so the fastest way to change a habit is to change your choices. So make a different choice right? Make a different choice. Each time we make a choice, it makes it easier to make that same choice again. So if you're down a path that you, you've made for yourself, don't make excuses. We make those choices ourselves. But we can start changing that and we can change everything about who we are, our character, by making different choices today, no matter how long we've been. And so that's, I always say, that's where the hope lies in this whole idea behind character is because we have 100% control over those choices and those choices can get us back to who we are called to be. Absolutely. And, you know, and that there's an element in here that, you know, I just want to interject is, is forgiveness of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we've all done that. You know, I married a person, went down a path that the only way to get out for my personal safety and the safety of my kids was to, you know, divorce this person, get a restraining order, go to, you know, domestic violence classes, all these things to figure out how did I end up where I was. And it was, the micro choices. It was forgiving, 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 allowing, 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 and pretty soon, you know, and it just got bigger and bigger. And, you know, here's somebody college educated, good family. I don't fit any of the prototypes for somebody who had a domestic violence marriage. And Mm -hmm. yet here I am. And so I think when you go through those changes and you, you sit down and you re-identify your values, you re-establish your boundaries, you do these things, you also have to let go of the person who made those mistakes. Make forgiveness for yourself because who I was when I was 25, Dave, is very different than who I am in my 40s. You know, I've had 20 years of experience. So to, to look back and judge myself or have somebody judge me because of something I did 25 years ago or something that happened to me, you know, 16 years as a single parent has taught me you can own it and you can let it go. You do mm-hmm. not have to live your mistakes over and over. And I think For me, acknowledging them, you know, like my own personal come to Jesus saying, look, this is what you're doing. This is what you're allowing. This Mm -hmm. is not okay. This is not who you are. Once you identify those things, it becomes easier to make those decisions. And it requires a lot of quiet time. I think the, the, you know, becoming a leader of character book, you know, I know you have these group exercises, but for me, it required reflection on each chapter quietly. Mm. What do I really think? What do I really believe? Yeah. You know, it's, you bring up a great point because there's certain people who uh, they're down a path and uh, you have, we always talk about the two most important, the two foundational habits of character, courage and humility, because most of our bad choices in life go back to two issues, fear and pride. 
And uh, so courage and humility are kind of are the crux of it all. And some people fear making those new decisions, fear getting away from uh, from uh, who they've been. And some people are too proud to get away from who they've been. And um, and having the humility to say, you know what, I screwed up. I've got things to learn. I and also having the uh, courage then to make those changes. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, you know, courage is not just one of the virtues, but it's a form of every virtue at the testing point. And so what, you know, I take that definition from C.S. Lewis and I think about it, I'm like, look, without courage, all this discussion about character and ethics, it's just academic. It's just a classroom thing. Because if you don't have the courage to put this thing and put this stuff in action, then it's worthless. Mm -hmm. And, and without, you know, knowledge without, knowledge without action is worthless as well. Right. So it's a lot of us candy. know what mind to do. Candy. I'm sorry? It's brain candy, mind candy. Yes, you know, yes all this, exactly. You know, all well, I have all this information in my head. Well, who cares if you never use it? Right. And, and so just knowing what to do in those situations is not enough. And when we talk about the ethics training and how do we do this, as opposed to just telling people what not to do and, 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 and saying, okay, now you're ready. No, let's prepare them. Let's do a better job of preparing them. And, you know, we're working in law enforcement now in the academies where, so these young officers who are coming out, they are, they, they've already had the opportunity to stop and think, what would I do if, what would I do if, and have these conversations that go back to who I am, not just don't do this because you're going to get the department in trouble, but it's who I am as an individual and who we are as an organization that, uh, that comes out in our actions. I mean, the saddest thing, I mean, this whole George Floyd thing is one of the saddest things I've ever heard and it makes me angry. And I, and I sit, I'm not going to sit there and talk, but I, I tell people in law enforcement, I don't talk about the guy who had his knee on the back of, uh, back of George Floyd's neck. That, what I talk about is the three guys who stood there and watched it happen. What, at, the be, at best, what we can say is they lack the moral courage at the moment to say, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Right. And um, we, we can't sit there and hope that our employees, our police officers, our children are going to make the right decision at the moment of testing. We have to prepare them for those that's moments right. of testing. That's and right. That's, so they don't freeze. Right. You and know. so that's, that's what ethics training needs to shift to is preparation, not threatening. Right. right. And courage training. You right. know, I had a great courage leader um, because I was beating myself up because I couldn't even get divorced right. The first time I went to the lawyer, the first lawyer I went to, I had my, ki- my kid was three months old. My other kid was two years old in the stroller, holding him in. He yells at me, Dave. And he's like, all you women are the same. You say the same thing. You have a bunch of kids. And then you're like, I don't know who I married. And I was so upset. Like I didn't expect that, that I took off and went home. And it was three months before I met with another lawyer. The Mm. next lawyer I met with was like, okay, you know, and I still have my babies with me. Like, what do you, what do you want? What are you looking for? What are the problems you're having? And then she was very nice. And she's like, I think you need to get to uh, this domestic violence group and they're going to help you identify you know, what your next steps can be. And I did, I planned over the space of eight months. Then when I went to my final lawyer who represented me, I was ready. But I would look at those things. And at the time I thought I failed the first round. I failed the second Mm. round. I failed the third round. But courage for many of us is a process. Right. And it just doesn't snap into place. Now, now if it was the person today getting divorced, I'm a much different person from that time period, but to have this discussion, even just the discussion we're having today from my first radio show 16 years ago to the transparency that I have today and going, I don't care if you judge me. I don't care if you think I was a fool because it took me three times to figure out Mm -hmm. how to get divorced the way that it was okay with me. Or in this case, you know, what are these guys doing while, you know, he's got his knee on his neck, these conversations happen, we start to understand, hey, you know what? I get it. We need training in these things. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's, uh, that's the other part of ethics training that I, I like to, uh, you know, I, I always focus on is this can't be a one-time thing. 
Yeah. It can't be a once a year thing. It, I, I talk about marinating people's brains. You know, I live down here in, in the great state of Texas. Uh, there's a lot of good states out there, but they say this, there's only one great state. So that's a, uh, I'm that's not New York Texas. state, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You and I are New Yorkers. So, but I, <laughs> I married a Texas girl when I was stationed here long ago and I ended up living in Texas. It's kind of the rule down here. Uh, but uh, love living in Texas. But uh, the, I lost my point on that. Uh, <laughs> started thinking, thinking about we're talking about, you know, about greatness and about, you know, how this th- these things are learned. We need experience to, and we right. have to have conversations about right. these because that's my question is, what do you talk about or at your dinner table or at the lunch table at work? Well, you know, the funny, now I know where I was going with the whole Texas thing because I'm going to talk about barbecue. Uh, we love our barbecue down here in Texas. Now, one of the things you know is if you if you've done any barbecuing, you don't take a raw piece of chicken and throw it on and slap some barbecue sauce on it and throw it on the fire because if you do, well, the the fire is going to burn off that barbecue sauce. It's going to get charred on the outside. It's going to be still raw on the inside, and you ruin the meat. Now, a marinade. You take that same piece of chicken, you marinate it, and you let that sink in and sink. It changes the composition of the meat so that when the fire comes, it doesn't ruin the meat. It flavors it. It's, the meat is prepared for the fire. And so for us, when we're thinking about what do we need to do with, with the people in our teams, the, the people in our families, we need, how do we prepare them? We need to marinate their brains in these concepts. We can't just talk about it every once in a while. It needs to be a consistent thing. When we're walking down the street with them, wherever we are with them, we're talking about, hey, you know, did you see that thing on the news today? How's that apply? You know, when we talk about integrity, what do you think? Or, hey, who's, you know, what, what that thing that happened last week, how does courage apply to this? You know, how could we have done this better if we were truly exercising our sense of duty, exercising the habit of duty and having these conversations so that we are content, consistently marinating the brains. 15, 15 uh, minutes can save you 15% on car insurance, right? And how do we get pe- so that when at the moment of testing, it becomes like muscle memory, right? right? It, they, they're like, boom, they're not stopping and thinking and that they are prepared for that test to come because, you know, you uh, God bless everybody who still has to send their kids to college, because I got to tell you, no matter how much you think you remember about college, it has changed. It has changed. It has changed. And your kids are going to are going to experience things that you would never believe that they would experience. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to think of every rule for them to prepare them. But you can prepare the decision making. You can prepare them by focusing on how do we make choices and what, what do we filter our choices through? And that's what ethics training needs to be in organizations. That's what our value system needs to be at home is, okay, these choices are who we are. Mm-hmm. Not just the, the posters on the wall or whatever. These choices we make is actually who we are as an organization. This, these choices we make and how we behave on a regular basis. We always say you have to do what you want to be. Right. You know, and so what we do is who we are. And what we do on a consistent basis, our habits is our character. And so whether it be a, my individual character or the character of my organization, the character of my family, it's about how we behave on a consistent basis, our habitual way of operating. How we are is who we are. Right. And to get to those answers, we need to talk to our staff, talk to our kids, and we have to not be afraid or sit in judgment when we ask the question, well, what do you think? What would right. you do? Or the million dollar question that, that, you know, for 15 years, I ran a top sales team in Beverly Hills, residential real estate. My biggest question was, why did you do that? You know, before I had a client who brought a very well-known spouse of a multi-gazillionaire celebrity client to a psychic. Mm. And I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out why you would do that. We are real estate <laughs> agents. Like, and I asked this young man, and he looked at me with all intention, and he said, she was so upset about the loss of her husband. They were married 60 years. I thought maybe if she could talk to him, she'd feel better. Mm-hmm. And we had lawyers, you know, we had everybody going. They were thinking, you know, they were going to brainwash her, you know, try to get her money, all this stuff. And when I went back to the lawyers and I said, this is why he did it. 
the business manager, everybody, and everybody just took a minute and went, oh, so it wasn't about the transaction. It wasn't about anything. It was his belief system in the hereafter that psychics can talk to the dead, and that's his belief system. All mm. he wanted to do was help this grieving woman. Mm. And it took yeah. all of the fire out of this lawsuit that, you know, all these wrongs that supposedly happened. And when it came down to it, it was someone trying to care for another person and not knowing the appropriate way in a business setting to care for this person. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, asking why gets to the root of what is integrity? Well, why would you do that? Why did you think that? And if you try to say it in a way that's not judgmental or condescending, you could either see where the error in their thinking was or mm -hmm. help them. A lot of times when they articulate it, they go, wow, I didn't really think that through, did I? Mm. And I 100% agree with you. And, you know, I, as opposed to asking why, I asked the same question a little bit different way, which is help me understand what you were thinking. Help me understand what got you to that decision and sit back and listen, you know, uh, and the, the avoidance of judgment in that, in that question, help me understand is just a gathering of information. I'm not, I'm not starting from a point of judgment. And even though my human nature may be, that was the stupidest thing I ever heard of. <laughs> you have, you have no idea what got them there. And if you truly want to develop people and you truly want to help people become better decision makers, don't put them on the spot and don't make them feel judged right off the bat. Help me understand. I love that. That's a much better way to say it than why it's the same result, you know, but, but you probably get better cooperation of going because when you understand why somebody did the things you they did, a lot of times you can go, wow, I, I, I could see myself making that same mistake or. Yeah. I mean, it, I think too often as coaches, I mean, this is coach talk radio. When we, we sit there as coaches too often, we jump to conclusions. We, we don't give people the benefit of the doubt and we think that we understand their motives. And you know what? We all have had people misinterpret our motives before. And I always challenge people when I'm in, when I'm doing classes on coaching and developing people, I'm, I, I ask people, have you ever had your motives misinterpreted? And everybody raises their hand and says, yes, people misinterpret our motives. I said, so then why do we think we're so good at interpreting other people's motives? Right. Let's just knock that, that off and start, start from the baseline of saying, you know what? I don't know what their motives are. Let me find out. Right. Uh, and well, that takes humility. It does take humility that takes and a lot of humility. And as we get older and, 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 you know, if, if you've had some success in life, you think uh, sometimes we can, our pride gets in the way because we think we already have the answer, especially with children. We think we, we all automatically jump in and, you know, as when they get to be teenagers, if we don't listen to them, we're just going to, they're just going to, they're going to push further and further away from us. We're going to get less and less out of them. And by asking a question like, help me understand. At least they, at least they get the impression. You know what? You care enough to ask, as opposed to I think as parents, we look for the expedient method, which is just get right to the point. And that's not necessarily going to be the best thing for developing our kids' decision-making process. And I got to say it: it's not just with kids; it's the people we work with every day. If they feel attacked, well, guess what? You're not going to get the real answers anymore. You're not going to get real feedback from them. You're going to miss opportunities to develop their decision-making processes so that they do behave the way you would want them to behave. Um, you know, and it's how do we prepare them for those choices? I keep going back to that. We've, it's our responsibility as leaders to prepare our people to make wise decisions. What are we doing to do that? A list of rules, a list of don't do's is not cutting it. Evidence, America today. <laughs> and the issues that we see in corporate America, wherever we are, uh, that ethics training is not, hit, not hitting what it's, we, not it's hitting intended the mark. to do. It's not for our college students. It's not for our mm -mm. families. It's not for anything. And I'm just going to close with this little tidbit because I found it to be really helpful. I know a lot of people dog technology and they dog the cell phone and, you know, complain about all these things. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you can share with your kids, and I've done this with great success, is to say, if you can't come to me because something happened and you're afraid to tell me or you're embarrassed or you're whatever, send me a text. Mm. send me a text and then 
give me a minute and then we can go from there. Because I'd rather have you, especially if you have, like, I have one really shy kid and I have one really outspoken kid. So the outspoken one, everything's out on the table, easy peasy. Mm -hmm. My shy one, not so much. So if he's really struggling with something or he's uncomfortable or he's had something happen and he can't say the words, which some Mm -hmm. of us can't, send me a text. Now, that doesn't mean you get to break up with your girlfriend over a text, you know, and defer (laughs) all the hard conversations. But the point is, That's a door opener today, especially with teens. A lot of times my kids can text me what's going on with them better than they can have a one-on-one face conversation with mom. Right. That is a a great point. It it really is. Uh, Meeting them where they are. Meeting them where they are. So Dave, how can people find your book and find out more about you? Well, we have a website called becomingaleaderofcharacter.com. And so go to our website, Becoming a Leader Character. We have lots of videos and things that are on there. Uh, and uh, our book is on there as well. We also have now have six, six more books, one on each one of the habits of character. They're more like one day, there's a month's worth of reading in there. So lots of times organizations package those. So there's six months of follow-on training after we go through our longer seminars. We've got online courses. We've got a whole bunch of resources out there because at Becoming a Leader Character, we talk about uh, we exist to in, in order to inspire and equip people so that they become leaders of character who inspire and equip others to lead with character. We don't just want this to be a one level thing. We want this continuous, uh, this to continuously go through an organization, go through a family. So it's one level after another are becoming leaders of character. So we just have all the resources there. And obviously I do events and live and keynote addresses and things as well. Well, and how great this whole program set together so that you can implement it in your office meetings or in your, what I call my family meetings, our dinner mm-hmm. meetings. And, you know, people don't even need to know that they're becoming a leader of character. It can just be part of your daily process. So thanks, Dave Anderson, for your time today. Go ahead and check his website out and his books. You'll be glad you did. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.